Welcome to the next. I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. No, I just like for. I, do you have anxiety when you get married as a Jewish person and you're supposed to be held up on a chair that somebody will drop you? Has that ever happened? I'm afraid <laughs> to look on YouTube. I we did not have that specifically oh. because I at my bat mitzvah we had it and that was enough. <laughs> Copy you. I'm so sorry. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm with Michelle Buteau today. She is a comedian, actress, and host known for her roles in The Circle, Always Be My Maybe, First Wives Club, Someone Great, Russian Doll, and Tales of the City, as well as her stand-up specials, including Welcome to Butopia on Netflix and Comedy Central. She lives in the Bronx with her husband and family, and she and her husband also run Vandermost Modern, a vintage furniture store in Brooklyn. Hi, girl, hi. I thought you were gonna give me the last four digits of my social security. I said, (laughs) this is the best phone call to Citibank I've ever made. You have all my information. I'd love to to hear it. I thought you I, I was like, yes, and I do have a furniture store. That's right. That is couples therapy at its finest. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Wait, so where, so tell me where you are right now. So right now I am in um, Manchester, England, um, working on a show. Um, I can't say which show, okay. but just know that it is, um, it's just, no one's a square. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to have to think about decoding that later. <laughs> um, and, and just how, how are you and your family doing during this strange time? That is such a loaded question. Yeah, I, I mean, know. It's, there's ups and downs and highs and lows because, you know, I tell my family all the time that I'm hateful and grateful in the same breath and it's just exhausting. And by the end of the pandemic, I might be a balding introvert because if I really allow myself to sit down and think what the fuck has happened, just this virus that has ravished the fucking world and the amount of death just in a short amount of time, I could cry. And when I talk about brunches and being petty and road rage, my husband's like, but be thankful you're not on a ventilator. I'm like, I understand, but this is a death and I still need to mourn it because that's what this is. It's, you know, life will never be the same. We are forever changed. This is like a moment in time that none of us could ever predict or write about except for Black Mirror, maybe, which is <laughs> probably why they're not coming back because they're just like too real. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the good parts of it is that I really got to dive into motherhood in a way that I did not think possible. How old and are your I- twins now? Uh, 21 or 22 months. I'm bad at math. They're going to be two in January. So talks amongst yourselves. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, these are, there's so many, um, um, you know, they just grow up so fast every month. It's something different. And I'm glad that I'm a part of it. You know, I definitely would work very hard and just like play hard when I came home, but to be home every day and like I'm the person that they want to come to, you know, for all of it feels pretty fucking fantastic. You know, I have the first two weeks I was like, how am I going to do this? It felt like I was snorkeling. I'm like, I don't know how to, this is beautiful, but I can't breathe right now. And, and uh, yeah, it's weird how you don't think you could do something, but you actually not only can do it, but you already are. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about, um, 
adapting your stage material or, or, or taking an, uh, yeah. for, for, for a book. That's, uh, it's a whole different vibe. It, it is. It's a different kit and caboodle. <laughs> She's so old. Um, you know, I really found, um, so much joy in podcasting that I didn't think I would, um, you know, storytelling shows and just putting stuff out there and not worried about, you know, can it fit in a five minute late night set? Um, it, will it be funny? It's just, um, just a straight up fucking story. Something that I went through and I want to share with you guys, whether it's more sincere, um, painful, um, exhausting, whatever it is. And so, you know, as I started podcasting the more and more, I would share these crazy stories. People would be like me too, or I feel less alone, or mm -hmm. I didn't think about that. Now I'm educated on how to talk to somebody that might be going through IVF or, you know, um, doesn't have the body that they thought they, whatever it was, I was like, this is interesting. And so writing the book felt batshit crazy because, um, you know, I'm a storyteller and I could barely fill out a W9 every year and it's the same damn form. And so I'm like, <laughs> how am I going to get around this? And um, it took time. I missed a deadline or two. And I was like, look, this is, and I tell my friends this all the time that want to start stand up and other things. And I had to like tell it for myself, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be fucking done. Yep. And um, I also realized in the edits, reading it back, I'm like, oh girl, you can't say it like that. <laughs> this ain't a show with a three drink minimum. <laughs> so it's also like, wow, you have to be so responsible with your words and your thoughts and your actions, which you should do anyways, but sure. much like 45 and like other comedians and people that, you know, um, have things, to, uh, spicy things to say, you could always say, I didn't mean it like that or you took it out of context, but when it's in print, in print. God, you got to meet what you talk. <laughs> and I love that you are able to tell all of the, I mean, the earnest stories about IVF and it was so upsetting and you're such a, like, just wow. But then also you get to write about high school and people who betrayed you and you can just end the story with fuck both of them. <laughs> yes. What a, petty, what a What a really like, I can imagine like getting up to the point when you want to write a, an essay collection or a memoir and being like, I'm not over that. You know, it's funny as you make a list of things that you want to talk about, you realize um, that shit is not important. Where did it start from? And it's like, how come I could never trust my friends around a man? Or um, how come I was only able to have an orgasm when I didn't know somebody? <laughs> or, you know, like, how come I'm still, like, going to Walmart to find a sundress? It's like, oh, because these were the things that happened to me when I was younger. And it's like, um, yeah, you don't plan on it sometimes, but it's like gas. It just be coming out. You're just like, well, I feel better. <laughs> it's formative. Um and, and and I love, of course, how you talk about, I, I think a lot of, many women have gone through this, um, of waking up one day and having just boobs. Yeah, yeah. You know what's always so funny is like my friends that, you know, took a while to develop were always like, you're so lucky. And it's like, well, I guess the 
grass is always greener when you're standing in shit because for me, I felt like I'm still playing with Barbies. I'm the only child. I'm making up games and I'm going to 7-Eleven and I'm being sexualized by old men and it's gross. And my mom is telling me to not stick my chest out and I'm just standing up straight and she's like low-key shaming me and that feels wild because these are the people that are supposed to be teaching me and taking care of me. And so, you know, not even realizing that to like much later in life, um, you know, I guess I am a late bloomer, but better for it because you don't have a choice. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously I've been through some shit. I'm still going to go through some shit. We're all going through some shit collectively right now, but you know, it can define you in a better way. Like in stand up, we have a rule, like learn from the good and the bad. Like if someone's killing or dying, that sounds, I, it's so fucking violent, all our terminology, but I, uh, yep. you learn from it. You know, you're like, well, how can we make that better? And how do we change it for ourselves? And so stand up really helped me in that way where you know, there's something so freeing and cathartic yelling like, nobody wants to see your dick <laughs> <laughs> in a dark room. And then, you know, walking into a meeting with like seven guys and being like, okay, I could take this on. Come on, patriarchy, let's oh. fucking go. <laughs> and and I do feel like if if everyone feels like they have the right to talk about your body differently all of a sudden, then, then perhaps owning controlling the narrative is is the best way to go yeah and i feel like you know i can't speak for boys you know i was just um reading michael ian's michael ian black's um oh god what's the name of his book I know what you're talking about. Really quick. It's about how to be oh oh a better man better man i was gonna say good man yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just emailing it back. Um, but um, a better man, mostly uh, a mostly serious letter to his son. And he talks about, you know, um, male toxicity in a way that I think only a privileged looking white male could. Um, and it's so nice to have an ally because, you know, you feel less crazy. And it's just like, I've been saying this and yes. you know what I mean and thank you so much for echoing this and yes. passing this on to your son and then like other people as well and so I feel like that's you know that's where it starts I always feel mm -hmm. I was always felt like it starts with the arts oh my god is that my starts with the arts. is that my Sesame Street there segment? you go it's, it does because you know you have license to to do and say whatever like you couldn't at a dinner table and by doing that, you make a fan and you also educate through love and creativity. And then you can promote a conversation at home that might be difficult or awkward for someone. Mm -hmm. So as I'm trying to figure out how to talk to my, my friends and family members who have voted for Trump. Wow. So I'm learning. I'm still learning too. What was the question? Girl. <laughs> Girl. I, I think um, we, we were talking about your boobs. <laughs> but, but we did make our way to Trump and I feel like that's that's the way of the world right now. It is, isn't it though? Um I you grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. Um all over the place. I'm from central Jersey, but you you've kind of experienced all of the state. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. What part of Jersey are you from? I'm near Raspberry Park on the show. Okay. 
right so on. down the shore. Yeah. That's, I mean, I felt like the people there were cool. Like, I love, like, the the Bon Jovi trash of it all, but I also <laughs> love, like, the eclectic, like, what are we going to do with, like, the seashells and our lessons <laughs> of it all? Like, I can appreciate that. Um, so tell me, do you most identify as a North Jersey, South Jersey, or Central Jersey? Ooh! <laughs> You try to start wars. <laughs> it's so look, I that is like picking my favorite Whitney Houston song. I don't think I can do it because for better or for worse, like she was from Central Jersey. Yeah, she does, <laughs> right? But like born in the north and like I feel like I have more of a northeast edge and attitude. Mm-hmm. But central, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and like I understand that world and like the pleated khaki of it all and the good snacks <laughs> at a soccer practice. But, you know, I lived in South Jersey for one year and that was such an important year because it was senior year of high school, just got my license, drove a 77 Camaro to the Cherry Hill Mall, worked at Wild Pear and Merry-Go-Round. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yes. my parents both worked in Philly. I bought my first um, bag of weed at um, the Rutgers Camden uh campus and uh got finger banged for the first time um by like a college guy on penn's landing so like look on penn's Land- okay yeah girl yeah and I, like, I, like i've li- like you know lived. like i've lived so yeah. you know i have really great memories <laughs> from all but yeah i i think if anyone were to meet me and be like jersey they would definitely be like newark right <laughs> who knows who knows um and tell i mean so we're, we're i'm going back to boobs for a second because i yeah. I, I found like your chapters about ivf and trying to get pregnant is, is something else that kind of everybody feels entitled to have an opinion about yeah and um and i even consider the idea that you know you're doing you're going through so much physically and emotionally with your body and then you're also working you're multitasking yeah that was wild how did how did how does that work i don't know how it works i think you just try to make it work i mean on the one hand I was happy for work because it was a distraction and it sort of was like a piece of normal life. And if I had all this time to really think about um, how many shots I'm taking a day and what it's really doing to my insides and um, you know, how I'm like pregnant for like a few weeks or like, you know, a month and a half with my other friend that's pregnant and then her survives and mine doesn't. And then I see the four-year-old later in life. And I always think about, well, mine would have been that age. You know, if I had to like really sit down and think about all that stuff, um, I'd be a fucking mess. I'd be a fucking mess. So yeah, I mean, I just sort of added it to my to-do list. Like, okay, I wrote this pitch. I got to fly myself out to LA and pitch it. So bring three pitch outfits and don't forget to get your note from the doctor because you're carrying needles. Mm Mm-hmm. One time I forgot my progesterone suppositories and they melt. They have to be refrigerated. So I had to have my husband FedEx them on ice. <laughs> it was a mess. I mean, one time I got drunk with my husband, didn't mean to, but we were just like trying to 
forget what we were going through. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize I had um, a shot due. And uh, and it was exactly at 8 p.m. And it's a trigger shot. And if you don't take your trigger shot, like everything is like for not like you've yeah. like ruined your whole fucking cycle. And so I had it in my purse. And so husband and I are doing karaoke together, drunk in a private room. And I'm like, oh, my trigger God. shot. And then like he like gave it to me. It's like I've had to take a trigger shot before. I, my poor manager, Anna Hong, shout out to her. She gave me a trigger shot before I went on stage because it had to be at 7 p.m. And then my show was at 7 p.m. I mean, it was, you know, if you can't laugh at it, you're going to cry about it. So it's like a little bit of both. But then yeah. it started to like overlap each other where, you know, I did this small scene in a movie called Someone Great on Netflix. And I'm improving about like sucking dick and just like the <laughs> dumbest stuff you would talk to a stranger about on a subway platform. And the, you know, I'm excited. I'm also sad. I'm hormonal. I'm all over the place. It kicks in and I start to cry as I'm like doing improv with Gina Rodriguez, but I'm still saying this funny stuff. It's like, you know, when they try not to break character on SNL, you know, it's like, I'm still going to get it done, yep. but I'm cry laughing and laugh crying. And people were like, whoa, that's so fascinating. I guess it's really fun to be a sad, big titted freckled face person now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> and then you were lucky enough, seems like a, a strange word, but you found a surrogate. Yeah, just a walking angel on earth. I cannot believe that these women exist. I'm so thankful for them. I never thought that that would be my journey or my story, but here we are. And um, I realized like, wow, maybe going to three different high schools and three different grade schools and being the only child and being, you know, just learning empathy for myself, especially on stage. Like maybe that was what this, what that needs to happen for me to even go down this road of just like, I don't know you, but I love you and thank you for loving us enough to do this. And so it's been, um, it's been a wild ride. I think the next thing for me now, and I'm just saying this because simply I haven't had therapy in two weeks, yeah. um, how to talk about it to the children because now it's out, it's out in a book, it's out in my Netflix special, Welcome to Utopia, available on Netflix, LOL. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, how does that conversation go? You know, especially when we have people in the White House like Amy Comey Barrett who like think that IVF is like essentially like they're synthetic children and, you know, those embryos aren't real or whatever the fuck she has said. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, how do I, how do I go about talking about that with them? Such a crazy wild subject, but you know, um, it also is like, well, our story isn't like others and that's what makes us special. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love that reading the book, I knew that your family calls your husband Ice. <laughs> but it wasn't until I watched the special that I really got to hear the Dutch pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell me about that. It's really wild, you know, to have two parents from different countries. And, you know, my dad is Haitian and speaks eight languages and he's deaf in one ear. So I feel like, you know, I'm cool. I'm open-minded, but the Dutch, it's so singular. Like the language, the name even, um, 
it's so hard and Dutch people really like you to get it right. And so it has taken a years for me to even feel comfortable saying it, not only in public, but now on TV, you know? <laughs> so, and he is so sweet and he's like, you know, call me whatever you want. You just say heist or whatever, but you know, what's his name? And I want our kids to not only speak Dutch, but say his name correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll probably make fun of him because it's ridiculous, but <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And even just, I loved some of the um, cultural artifacts you, you took from Amsterdam, like the, the bike riding, <laughs> the aggressive bike riding. Oh my goodness. It is wild. Also, I don't think that we would be married if I didn't know how to ride a bike. Not even like swim, because he has like a license for deep, deep sea shit. And I'm just like, no, nah, that means I'd get my hair wet. I'm good. And so if I could not ride a bike, I don't know that we could be together. And that is the fucking truth, because they were born on bikes. It's how he got to school. There are no school buses, or at least when he was growing up. So don't fact check a bitch. That's what he told me. <laughs> In Eindhoven, no school buses. So yeah, and it's like... The whole hopping, the leapfrogging on a bike when you're tipsy, not with this body. I'm sorry. No, I'm not a sassy ballerina. No, no. I don't. I, yeah, that's that sounds dangerous. Um, <laughs> that's why they have all that free healthcare, honey. <laughs> Living on the damn edge. Another part of the book that I really, really loved, um, but you are so um, sincere about is 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 your tooth yes like just i i hate the word <laughs> adulting but like yeah when your body starts to kind of freak out on you and you don't have the means to fix it right away yeah God. it's crazy you don't have the means to fix it and then also you don't know how important it is to address these issues right away like you know you there's no reason to become like a pimple popper episode on TLC, you know, like you can do this. And so I don't know why I was just like, I'm good. It'll fix itself or I'll just get to it. But <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. And then you're just walking around kind of feeling sorry for yourself, low key ashamed. And it's just like, you could also do something about this. And so it, it was such a hard, long lesson and uh, also just made me feel, I know I keep using the word empathetic, but I can't think of anything else only because I'm so tired, to other people. And, um, you know, when I watch that, ep like any episode of Queer Eye, I'm just like, yes, I understand. You don't like your hair, but you don't know what to do. <laughs> it's so yeah, funny. you know what I mean? Like, I get it. Yeah. And oh, so my you neck were... just cracked. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um you were sitting in the NBC newsroom at the time, yes? Uh, eating yeah. Einstein Brothers bagel. That's correct. No diss to oh, the sure. Einstein's brothers. You know, it is crazy. I also learned that like the more mixed your DNA is, um, the weaker your, um, your bones are, your gums and stuff like that. I huh. had no idea. I mean, you're you're better off for other things like let's say like the cancer that bob molly got was a cancer typically found in older white men and that's because he was half english right but um yeah 
Tuesday is one of them things I didn't know. <laughs> didn't know, and I love to smile. I was like, we gotta do something. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how you went from working in a newsroom to deciding to do stand up and going quote unquote on the road. Oh, that was just so ridiculous. What was I thinking? Think, see, that's a good thing. Sometimes you should just not think and do. Because if you really think about what you might be doing and how you're putting yourself out there, you might just stay the fuck home and in the edit bay and make some decent money. But, you know, um, I basically started stand up only because people told me I should. They're like, you're so funny. I love the story. You're so animated. I love your emails. But I didn't see myself on stage at all. I, it was always guys um, who are broke and unhappy and uh, will do anything for someone to give them a blowjob. I'm like, oh, I do not feel seen. Yep. Um, every time there was a woman, it was just like, all right, guys, we're going to change it up. Are you ready? <laughs> and I'm like, I could tell she's a woman by the time she gets on the stage. Why are we doing this? But, you know, there aren't many things that I'm good at <laughs> and there aren't many things that I like. And, you know, living in New York City, everybody had a thing that they did. They would go kayaking on the Hudson or they would play soccer in Central Park or pottery or whatever the fuck it was. And I just didn't have a thing. I just, you know, like toasting dinner parties and like being my bubbly self and making sure that my credit card goes through at dinner parties, you know. So um, I was like, why not? You know, um, this footage is fucking horrible. This is the worst thing that we've all been through to date september 11th 2001 mm -hmm. it was disgusting it was you know to walk down the street and feel unsafe and when you hear like a you know a car pop from its engine and you think this is the one you know or your elevator gets stuck in rockefeller center you're like this is the big one like to live like that is fucking nuts and so i'm like this might take my mind off of it and I fell in love with it. Um, and thank God, because I'm not good at many things. So I'm glad this worked out. <laughs> but, and tell me, yeah. um, I, I feel like any comedian I talk to says that people constantly want to ask them for coffee and pick their oh, brain. Pick their brain. Pick Get their out brain. of here. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. That thank you, pandemic is the one thing. That's the one thing. It's the one thing. Um, but but I do love one of your answers it, in that going on on the road uh, chapter is that you said yes. You said yes to ridiculous things, and you can't say no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If comedians really just said yes to everything just i guess anyone in general the best education you could ever do for yourself is putting yourself in a situation that you never would safely of course sure but i mean it's wild because if you can do if you could do comedy in like these strange podunk towns <laughs> and have nothing in common with anyone and still do well Oh no, can you see me? Mm -hmm. Okay, I, see you. I thought I froze. Okay, and still do well, then you can you can do comedy anywhere, you know? If you could do stand-up in like one of those, um, uh, what is it called when you jump out of a plane? Parachute. Thank you, 
parachute. <laughs> is that it? Right? No? Girl. Skydive. Skydiving. Yes. Okay. Yes. This is like an awful game with celebrity, but um, <laughs> like indoor skydiving, that's what it feels like doing the road and having no control. And if you could do that, then you can go anywhere and people don't realize that's what you need to do. Don't ask me how to make money. Just go out there and be brave. I love it. Um, Michelle, survival of the thickest is so wonderful. Can you just recommend off the top of your head so another book that you have loved or have enjoyed or read recently? Oh my God. Um, well, uh, you are a badass by Jen Sincero pretty much is my Bible where, you know, I could just flip through it and pick a chapter and be like, this is what I need. It's sort of like my emotional tarot card. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I just reread, uh, Francesca Ramsey's, uh, well that escalated quickly. Um, tales and memoirs of uh, accidental activists, especially now with yes, such a now. toxic president that we've had. It's like, how do you share, you know, your views without getting death threats? And so I love that book. Oh, and I just, um, I think I just mentioned uh, Michael Ian Black's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, damn, I already forgot the name. This is where I'm at. It's like, you know, how to be a better man, I think. How to be, a, yeah, a, a good man. Uh, okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Just do, we'll, do we'll battle. You do battle. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Tell Josh I said, hey, girl, hey. I will. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.